The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. Things are a little rushed this morning since the boys are expecting a special guest in the virtual hangar. But in the meantime, they talk about home-build Concords, marvel at the good and the bad of the national airspace system, and come up with yet another way to spend a million dollars. All this and more in Uncontrolled Airspace, episode number 36. All these fireworks are legal. You know, the flight service station system is still uneven. Let's put it that way. Uh, I think right now, it's not a question of speed and power. I've had that opportunity. It's just enjoying flight for the sheer joy of flight. Ooh, boo-wah. That's a sexy-looking little airplane. It is. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to episode number 36 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast. Uh, Sitting with me this morning in the virtual hangar. Let's see now. we got a small group right now. We're expecting a visitor later on, but we'll be a little mysterious about that. Dave Higdon is here. Dave is uh, talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. Dave is an aviation photographer and a senior editor at Kit Planes Magazine. He's also the uh, U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, everybody. Hope you had a safe, sane, dry, hopefully, aviation Independence Day. Yeah. And uh, also with us uh, right now in the virtual hangar, Jeb Burnside, talking to us from Springfield, Virginia. Jeb is a freelance aviation journalist, currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine, and also a contributing editor to AvWeb Biz. Hi, Jeb. Good morning, Jack. Good morning, Dave. And to all of our listeners, I hope everyone did get get through the 4th safely and uh, that their fireworks stayed dry and uh, uh, the beer was cold. There you go. Yeah. And I am Jack Hodgson up here in Boston, Massachusetts. I am a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. So we got a lot of ground cover to cover today. I don't know if there's any uh, any particular chit-chat. How, how was your fourth? Did you guys have a good time? Did you do anything fun? Didn't Heaven. do much. Go ahead, Dave. No, go ahead, man. No, I, I was just going to say I didn't do much of anything on the fourth. Uh, I'd... I'd uh, uh, been out of town for a few days before that and trying to lick my wounds and uh, uh, conserve some energy and get ready for the rest of the week here. So I just kind of lazed around the house and tackled some projects and uh, um, that kind of stuff yesterday. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a good time. Good time was had by all. Yeah. I went up to New Hampshire. <laughs> my, uh, my family have a summer home on a lake up in New Hampshire, and uh, every year the uh, local lake association sponsors what they call the Fourth of July Boat Parade. Where people decorate their boats, you know, with like you know, uh, U.S. flags, and I mean, I mean, a lot of people just put balloons and U.S. flags and red, white, and blue bunting and that kind of thing. And then there's a handful of people that go go nuts, and they, uh, one guy puts a little jazz band, live jazz band, on his boat and plays music, and and then they kind of make this parade. They go in trail all around How the big shoreline. Are these boats? Most of them are these sort of twenty foot pontoon, what we call them, party boats, you know. Okay. Uh, and uh, although there's a, there's a handful of, you know, kind of ski boats and that kind of thing, most of them are these pontoon boats. And uh, um, so, Nice, lazy way to cruise the lake. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, so we did that yesterday. And, uh, uh, and then I had to zoom back down today to uh, get prepared for this morning. How about you, Dave? What would you do? 
We uh, attended a local neighborhood association's annual uh, Independence Day pancake breakfast yesterday. Uh, nice Riverside Park here in Wichita near our what house. What is it with you and pancake breakfasts? Do you not? Or did you have a deprived childhood where you never got breakfast or anything? I mean, what? It, you know, we, we we didn't get our we didn't get our flaps jacked all that much. When ah, I, was I see. <laughs> You'd Plus think be, you'd think our day would be a, a, a heftier guy for all the pancakes he eats, you know. But no. Well, and it, I, I'm I'm not sure what it is, but uh, it, it seems to be kind of a, a a Midwest tradition, and and a lot of aviation uh, events start with a, a fly-in pancake breakfast. Of course, yeah. And, and uh, so you know, for for some reason, this this event's a fundraiser for uh, our neighborhood association, and we always donate the money that's raised to. Some parks project, so it's kind of a you know a, a, a feel good and a, and a good meal for six bucks. Sure. And I haven't heard the numbers yet, but uh, as usual with a midweek Independence Day holiday, the lines waiting to get served by this uh, uh, outfit called Chris Cakes. They put on quite a show. They flip the pancakes up in the air, and you got to catch them, and and they make Mickey Mouse faces and goofy faces out of pancakes and. Uh -huh. Try to make it entertaining, and uh, but I think like we fun, might have had actually. a record yeah. yesterday. So, uh -huh. uh, lovely day during the day. A lot of fireworks in the neighborhood. A uh, couple of nice fly-in uh, uh, events going on on private fields around the area. And fortunately, the rains held off until just about the time a lot of folks were ready to set off their fireworks. So uh, we had a minimum of uh, of reported fires and, and fireworks problems last night because a lot of folks were doing them in the drizzle. <laughs> we had a couple of uh, local accidents, incidents, occurrences associated with fireworks. I live, um, I don't know, a couple of hundred yards, I guess, from a uh, uh, small country club. And I could, I, I swear to God, when they went off last night setting off their fireworks, I thought I was under attack. Uh, yeah. I, I, I thought there were border rounds come in, um, and if my first thought, actually, literally, was someone is using the fireworks in the area as cover to shoot somebody. Okay, well, you know, I have to admit it's true though. It, it, over the last few years, it seems like regular folks have gotten access to bigger and bigger fireworks on a regular basis. It, you know, fireworks that you just would would consider professional now you see shot out of backyards all the time and uh it's, it's, it, i thought the trend was going the other way actually but uh uh j just as a as a side note i have been known to pop into uh various airports in south carolina and uh get the, <laughs> get, get the courtesy car drive down to the local fireworks emporium and uh kind of bend a few hazmat rules on the way home uh, but uh, <laughs> you want me to edit that part out, huh? Uh, no, no, because it really aren't strictly for personal use, of course. Strictly, strictly personal use, of course, That's absolutely. Right. And, uh, and used legally wherever you use them. Used and, legally, not pointed at uh, six-year-old kids across the street or anything like that. Oh, not like uh, the stuff we used to do years ago at uh, yeah. some of the hang gliding. Independence Day parties I've been known to attend, where we actually had bottle rocket wars, uh, uh -huh. shooting bottle rockets at one another. Just the little ones, mind you, but yeah, uh -huh. you it, mount them it, under the wing and kind of fire them from you know well, a little strafing actually, run the, kind of the, thing. Hang, the hang gliding connection is twofold. First, it was uh, I'd never seen fireworks fights until uh, uh, I was at a, a 
Fourth of July fly-in uh, up in Pennsylvania. Oh, I don't know, twenty twenty years ago, and the uh, the uh, launch tool of choice was usually a broken down tube <laughs> that had been trimmed off to be clean on the broken end, and maybe a piece of uh, uh, another piece of broken aluminum uh, duct tape to it to give it a little handle so it worked like a bazooka. And uh, you'd put the bottle rocket in the front, reach up there with your little lighter, light the fuse, tilt it back long enough to slide it into the tube, and then aim quickly. So, so clearly, go. clearly that self-regulation thing in the ultralight world has worked really well, right? Oh, <laughs> at, at, extremely well. Uh, funny thing, in all the years of doing this, well, look at never, the bright never side, had either. anybody get hurt. Look yeah. at the bright side. They, you know, they inspect these things, and they know when to remove these down tubes. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and down tubes don't shoot bottle rockets at people. People shoot bottle rockets at people. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. <laughs> well, at the other end of the spectrum from, uh, from ultralights, uh, one thing that happened this past week in the aviation world is that Cirrus uh, uh, in, rolled out their, a mock-up of their personal jet. Ooh, boo, wow. And what do you guys think of this thing? It's uh, the, the jet is visible to the world now, and uh, that's a sexy-looking little airplane. I kind of look the look of it. Yeah, I think I agree. Um, but, okay, so we've been touting it as a personal jet for, you know, months, uh, almost a year now, uh, actually more than a year now, um, but the projected price tag is a million dollars. Well, you know, Jack, well, when, when... Personal when, is in the eye of the beholder. Well, and when a new Baron, Clearly. when a new Baron from uh, our good folks over at Hawker Beechcrafts, the the new company that runs that operation, goes for uh, well over a million one, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I don't think anybody would look at a Baron and say that's other than well, primarily what's a, new, a personal aircraft. What's a new like a new top of the line single engine Bonanza or, or Mooney go for these days? Well, new exactly. Bonanza's pushing seven hundred thousand, depending on equipment. Uh -huh. uh, the the G thirty six, if I remember right, is about six hundred and fifty, six hundred and sixty thousand. And uh, uh, Jiminy, uh, top of the line Mooney goes for uh, four hundred, half four hundred thousand dollar range. Right. Uh, so. You know, a, a little under a million for a jet is not completely beyond the pale of a personal aircraft. That's right. That's exactly right. You know, obviously we're going to hear uh, from those frugal student pilot people again. But well, I, I, I mean, I you, you make no a good one, case. You know, no one on this conversation is going to be stroking a check for one anytime soon, even if they were so, available. No. But um, uh, a million for a for a jet, you know, I don't know what the performance specs are, but let's say they're 250, 300 knots. Uh, three, that's, that's 300, 300 knots, 300 yeah. knots, and uh, I believe flight level 300, <laughs> uh, up to seven seats, which you, you got to take that seven seat capacity uh, a little bit in context because, you know, airplanes like Barron's and, and C model Comanches even boasted uh, capacity for six seats. Although you really couldn't fill six seats, put much luggage and much fuel in them, and go very far. Sure. Uh, so a seven-seat jet, you know, that's pushing up into light jet territory in terms of seating capacity. Right. But when your fuselage is still around the size of a uh, of a, a, a of a Comanche C model, uh, then I'd you know I'd still want to spend that as a personal aircraft. Yeah. yeah. What is what's the price tag on the Eclipse jet? It's about a million five now, a uh, million six, somewhere mm -hmm. up in there. Okay. I mean, remember well, when they, we're when get they first started speaking, that program, it was under a million bucks. But speaking, a lot of things tripped up along the way. Yeah, go ahead, Jeb. 
Yeah, speaking of Eclipse, and, and uh, when we had uh, James on last, he had uh, mentioned having spotted a uh, an Eclipse in the wild. Uh, I managed to, to hear a day jet flight uh, on the frequency over the weekend. Um, down, That's uh, what they're using a, for a call sign, day jet flight and such and such? Day jet, well, I think this was day jet flight 115, as, as I recall. Um, don't know what they were doing. I doubt it was a revenue service flight. It was probably training or, or No, are they flying or, exclusively eclipses? They are. Yeah, they are. Yeah. They are. As far and as I, I know. Got, I think they've got, well, they've got several uh, now. Uh, and those are, of course, you know, transitional versions because all of them are going to have their avionics replaced uh, when the new avio system is uh, is finally ready for prime time and they backtrack and replace all the avidine stuff that's installed in right. the current productions right moving on here because we're trying to keep things chugging along this morning uh chug, let's see now chug, chug, chug. that's a beer thing too isn't it chug chug chug, chug. chug. beer and pancakes man <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yesterday was the day for it nectar of the gods almost literally minutes before we recorded last uh, week's podcast uh the uh, we we missed out on the fact that the uh, house committee had issued uh, the uh, the legislation for fa refunding and uh, uh, what do we think about that? Let's give a big pat on. The, let's give a big pat of the ho- on, uh, on the uh, on the collective head of the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee and their Aviation Subcommittee because they just refused to buy all the propaganda and uh, and reported out the FAA Reauthorization Act of 2007. Well, a very creative name. Uh, for those who <laughs> keep score, that's HR 2881, and ta-da. No user fees, folks. No user fees. Does raise fuel taxes a little bit, less than a nickel. Uh, does let the FAA charge more for some services that admittedly we think were uh, undercharged, like registering an aircraft, getting a medical, getting a pilot's license. Uh, you know, cost the FAA a lot more to handle the paperwork than what we've been right. paying. Uh, but uh, also provides a lot more capital for ATC modernization, what a lot, a lot of folks are calling next-gen, uh, and more for the uh, FAA's uh, airport improvement program. Uh, so uh, it's shaping up to be the winner that most folks in GA seem to want. I know it's certainly along the lines of what I'd like to see. Yeah, it's, it's, it's more att- uh, attuned to what is, is, I think, appropriate and necessary. Reality. At, at, yeah, exactly. Reality at, at this stage of uh, um, the FAA's latest uh, uh, attempt to modernize the air traffic control system, um, and there, there, of course, are a number of problems with that attempt that we've delineated in the past and won't go into here, uh, unless we run out, unless we run short of other stuff, other stuff to talk about. But um, no, the house, the house did do a, a good thing, and uh, um, the. Uh, I don't know the exact status of the bill. For example, I think it has to go to Ways and Means, the tax writing people. Ways and to, Means is next, then Science yeah. and Technology, then Rules. Yeah, uh, that would be normal. Yeah, Science and Tech usually kind of develops their own little deal uh, uh, on the side separately, and then uh, um, it's folded in on the floor, or something like that. Science and Tech uh, uh, is responsible for the research and development. Uh, portions of the uh, of FAA reauthorizations, but now we're just then, talking about the House side of the building, right? Talking about right. the House side, that's kind of where I was headed. Uh, the Senate is still kind of mired in uh, this uh, 
uh, in a couple of things, the most prevalent being the uh, $25 per flight uh, fee levied on turbine-powered aircraft. Um, barely got that out of committee. Um, I think opposition, well, I think both sides are, are, uh, are pounding the pavement and, and trying to get up you know, support for their position. Uh, what will happen with that when it gets to the Senate floor is anybody's guess. Uh, hopefully, it will be removed. I can I can see people like Jim Inhofe falling on their swords to get that out of there. Well, uh, I'm not even sure Senator Stevens uh, from well, Alaska. I think Stevens. Who, I think Stevens is, is got. Of course, Stevens has got a whole slew of other issues that he's got to face, personal and professional, legal too. But yeah. uh, I think he's maybe gotten religion since uh, that thing went out of committee. He supported a $25 per flight fee in the Senate and, bill. And, and, and his, said his he was doing so re- reluctantly. Yeah, his constituents in in Alaska, uh, I think, uh, uh, got his attention uh, yeah. since then. And uh, whether or not he'll be as, as steadfast in, in wanting to retain that provision is another guess. Well, is, the nice folks up in Alaska from the different aviation groups all the way up to the state legislature have come out in opposition to any kind of user fees, uh, along with s- several other state legislatures around the country. And, and gee, many, the number of, of aviation and non-aviation groups that have come out against user fees is now numbering in the thousands. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, so, so it's going to be a long, hot summer here in D.C., and uh, um, it's not over till it's over. And uh, with this crew... Uh, with this crew in charge and, and uh, with all the machinations that can occur in Congress, um, uh, keep your powder dry, keep those cards and letters coming in, uh, and uh, just you know watch this space and, and keep track of the other aviation media out there for the latest and greatest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let me just I mean, and let me reiterate gonna, what you just said there. Um, I mean, it's more than just a cliche. Um, if you haven't already, I'm speaking now to our listeners. If you haven't already contacted one of your uh, uh, representatives, um, you should. And if you have, do it again uh, in a, yeah, in a there, friendly, there's, respectful there's a, way. There's a, there's a good advice there because this is still a long way. From the uh, uh, you know the the normal drop dead for the current FAA reauthorization, which is the end of September, uh, and there's a lot to do as Jeb was talking about between now and then. So now is not the time to slack off and say, "Well, we got what we wanted in the exactly. House," exactly. Because until that shows up on the president's desk and he signs it, uh, you know, there's no place for the fat lady to sing. That's right. What right. we've been doing up till now is working. Let's keep it up. And the message that should be uh, the simple message uh, that you should be sending to your elected officials is support the House FAA reauthorization bill. That's right. And say that to your senator, too, your senators, because mm-hmm. all of us have two. And uh, you want them on board with, F, uh, with H.R. 2881 as well. So, uh, you know, keep those cards and letters going, as, as, as the man said. There you go. Yeah. Moving on, uh, and, and Jeb, we want to try and keep this a little bit sh- uh, terse, uh, but you were saying earlier on that you had some, some stories or something to tell us about yeah, flight service. What's um, going on? As I had uh, alluded last week, I uh, uh, was, had plans to fly up and down the East Coast here this last, uh, last, last weekend and into the earlier. He's been earlier. shopping at Lockmart. I've been shopping at Lockmart and uh, just, just found that you know, the flight service station system is still uneven. Let's put it that way. Um, the morning I departed, which was uh, Saturday, um, I guess the, the uh, 30th, 
um, I sat down here at my local, on my, on my telephone here at home, and called flight service, filed two flight plans. One was a, uh, a VFR 8IS flight plan to get out of Manassas, Virginia. I was going a uh, simple, quick hop down to Culpeper, Virginia for some cheap gas. And then I filed an IFR flight plan out of Culpeper down to my destination. And uh, had, uh, I called up uh, on ground at Manassas and uh, just basically gave him my in number. And, and uh, the next transmission back from the ground control was the departure control frequency and my squawk code, uh, basically saying, you know, they already had my flight plan. They already had my strip. They were ready to give it to me. The system worked flawlessly. Um, flew, took off, no problems, flew down to Culpeper, landed. Hang on a second. I'm trying to get myself back up off the floor. <laughs> yeah. T- <laughs> tell me about it. Well, I'm waiting for well, a butt. Well, landed, got my fuel, took, uh, uh, again, I'd already had my flight plan filed, so I didn't need to talk to flight service again. Took off uh, VFR, was climbing out, dialed up the uh, local uh, approach controller, said, you know, I'm looking to pick up my IFR to my destination. He says, uh, what's your end number again? And I gave it to him. And he says, dude, I don't have anything on you. There's nothing in the system for your flight plan. <laughs> so there's the butt. <laughs> so I said, well, you know, I, I said something like, well, there's your tax dollars at work. And uh, said, I'll be A back. good way to get them on your side. Well, uh, he, you know, it's not his deal. Uh, um, so, it's not and his I, fault. I, That's right. It's not his fault. It's not his fault. So uh, got off that frequency, punched up 22-2 uh, for Leesburg uh, Flight Service Station, called three or four times. Uh, no, other, no other aircraft uh, on the frequency, nobody else on the frequency. And, of course, Leesburg did not answer on 22-2. Hi, this so is like, Leesburg Flight Service. We can't come to the radio right now. Uh, exactly. If you'd like so, to land and file with Duots, there's a chance we might catch your flight plan. Thanks, and have a not. nice day. Yeah. And uh, so I said, well, this is going to be spiffy. Um, and uh, <laughs> said, well, you know, let me try something else here. So I dialed up Flight Watch on 22-0, and you're not supposed to be given uh, flight plans over 22-0, but I said, you know, what the heck. Um Got an answer the first time on, on flight watch frequency and basically said, hey, you know, dude, there's no one home on 22-2. What's, what's the drill? He said, well, it should be somebody answering. I said, well, there's not. I need to give you an IFR flight plan. Are you ready to copy? And he said, okay, fine. And I rattled off the flight plan, and, and um, he, he got it. And he said, all right, it's in the system. And I went back to the controller um, and, and got, the, got the clearance and went on my merry way. Now, the punchline in all this is I was as I was taxiing out of Manassas. Again, this is within the eighties. Uh, there was a DC three on on the same ramp down the way from me, with both fans turning, sitting there, um, going back and forth with the ground controller, saying, you know, the ground controller saying, I don't have your flight plan, and the guy in the DC three is saying, but I filed it, you know, an hour and a half ago or something like that. And, and, and the guy's basically, I don't understand, I don't understand, I don't understand. And basically was tying up the ground control frequency. And the, and the ground controller was saying, you know, basically, look, um, I, I don't have your flight plan. There's nothing I can do. And added to that, by the way, you know, that's been contracted out now to a private corporation. The FAA is not directly responsible for it anymore, et cetera, et cetera. 
and uh, I could just see the steam rising out of the cockpit of that DC three um, because he's he's you know not happy about anything and burning a lot more gas than I'm burning. But um, I guess the punchline in all that is no matter what you hear and what you see from uh, uh, those who who would want to pat us on the head and say everything's fine, don't worry about it, we're, we're on everything's under control. It ain't. It ain't under control. It ain't fine. And don't be patted on the head. Uh, this is not fixed yet. Uh, be very careful. Uh, don't assume anything. And uh, make sure that uh, you've got, you know, some other resources to file a flight plan or get your clearance or something like that before you get into a situation. Well, not to change the subject, but, you know, on a more positive note, look who just wandered into the virtual hangar. I've got my, I've got my seatbelt on. I've got the shoulder harnesses on, so I'm ready. There you go. <laughs> you have your hand on the, on the parachute handle. <laughs> yeah, and, and on the uh, Jado assist. Yeah, there you go. Got up this morning, and the T-shirt that came out of the top drawer was uh, my Air Venture Flightline Crew shirt from last year. Oh, so. See, that's, that's that's the karma about this whole thing. All the right, all the right things are coming together at the right time. That's right. There you go. Joining us now in the virtual hangar is uh, is a very special guest. We're really pleased to have him have him wander in. Uh, the chairman of the EAA Air Venture Fly-In Convention, the president of the Experimental Aircraft Association. Tom Poberezny is with us. Good morning, Tom. Good morning. Thanks for having me on board. Oh, we're thrilled that you could join us. So, uh, so where are you talking to us uh, from this morning? You're, you're, you're in Oshkosh, I would imagine, right? Yes, I'm in Oshkosh. My office looking out of Pioneer Airport right now. It's a beautiful day, and and uh, we're highly anticipating the start of our venture in just a few short weeks. Yeah, I imagine you must be very, very busy out there right now. Well, everybody is, but this is the exciting time of the year. We spend uh, you know, 50, 50 weeks of the year planning and organizing, and, and now the, the planning is pretty well done except for the last-minute uh, changes that always take place, and it's just the finishing touches. And people started to arrive. Uh, the the uh, early volunteers came in, uh, came in the April-May time frame, and we op- officially opened the gates to campers uh, just about two weeks ago. So can you can you describe because most of us don't get a chance to be out there this you know this much time in advance of the flying. Can you describe for us a little bit about some of the activities that are going on out there right now? Well, it's really fun to watch it build. Uh, there's a lot of activity down the flight line because with all the exhibitors and activities, the the tents and infrastructure started going up about ten days ago. You see a lot of frames and tents and trucks and uh, moving around. Uh, the early campers we opened camper registration on. Uh, Friday, uh, two weeks ago, uh, this Friday, and uh, people were in line to get in. And every day we have a few more campers coming in, so we start to see the campsite building and uh, a lot of the you know last-minute preparations with staff and volunteers. And while that's happening, uh, business as usual. Pioneer Airport's open. The museum has the guests and visitors, so it's it's a very active aviation time here in Oshkosh. Yeah, in in over the past couple of weeks on the podcast, we've been talking a little bit about pictures we're seeing of the new FAA control tower that's going up. <laughs> um, can you tell? Are there any other changes to the convention ground this year? Well, first of all, the tower it's it's kind of fun to watch it go up. It uh, it's about twice the size of the uh, the old tower and. They expect to have the tower pretty well finished as far as the structure by February of, of 08, and then they have to do the uh, all the equipment inside, so it won't be ready in time for Air Venture 08. At least at this time, it's not planned, but it'll definitely be in place by 09. Uh, wow. You know, it's beyond amazing. that, it's amazing how long it takes to get one of those structures built and and uh, uh, all the equipment installed. Uh, absolutely, but 
you know, there was a lot of planning that went into this one, and we debated a lot of locations, and it's turned out to be the right place. And I think people will get a kick out of it and see it because it's a pretty dramatic, well-laid-out well structure, and will we'll serve the uh, activities here in Oshkosh very well. Do you uh, know what will happen to the old tower? It'll be it'll be torn down. Uh, basically, when the new one is done operating, the other one will be torn down. And uh, as you know, it's on like a, a little bit of a rise. That rise will be uh, flattened and uh, be integrated into the overall convention site. Well, are they? What are they going to do with the materials they tear down? For example, I would I would pay a couple of bucks of real money for one of the bricks out of that structure. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a, that's a great idea. I hadn't thought of that, and we'll have to check on it because right now that that's all under contract by the. Wisconsin Bureau of Aeronautics on behalf of the uh, airport's operator, which is Winnebago County in the city of Oshkosh. Interesting. And, uh, that may be a, a neat opportunity because it's it's really part of the heritage. I remember that tower That tower used to be on the north side of the airport back when Steve Whitman was manager of the airport, and they, they moved it from that side of the airport to where it is now. It seemed like it was moved in, uh, out in the middle of nowhere, and, of course, right now no, nowhere is the middle of the world's premier aviation site. Right. Yeah. So folks that come to uh, AirVenture, uh, they've got at least this year to uh, get that picture that we're all used to of folks standing in front of the brick tower with the sign world's busiest airport during the convention. Well, you bring up a good point too, Dave, is that when you say meet me by the tower, you're going to have to give, figure out which tower because there's two of them there right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I've already started telling me meet me, me, me by the old FAA tower. So. Or by the, meet me by the tall one or the short one. The tall one. Okay, that might work. There you go. Well, it's going to change how we give directions to the Air Venture Today office because... Uh, uh, since we moved into that building in uh, in '95, I believe it was, it's been really simple. First building north of the tower. <laughs> yeah. Now, if you go to the first building north of the tower, you're going to be in the middle of the runway. That's right. That's yeah. right. <laughs> Tom, any other notable changes to the convention ground that we're going to see this year when we are? Well, on? we go through the the annual debrief and an uh, improvement phase in terms of just uh, small incremental uh, aspects that make the site more user friendly, uh, hopefully easier to, to move around and. Things of that nature. The tower is the most dramatic change that people will notice almost immediately when they come in, and and we have on the uh, plan some significant changes for the future. Uh, uh, for those of you who've been regular attendees, uh, you know that about every decade we make some major changes to meet the the needs and the growth, and we're just about entering that next decade. So uh, outside the tower, nothing significant this year, but we have some interesting plans we'll unveil in the near future regarding. Uh, changes to the site uh, going forward. Terrific. Well, you can come back and talk to us about those in a subsequent year. In the future, year. yeah. Uh, Absolutely. You got great, you've got some great aircraft uh, on the list to, to, to show up this year again. Uh, can you run through some of them that you uh, remember off the top of your head? Well, you know, as you as you remember, uh, I flew air shows for 25 years, and I've been to every air venture in Oshkosh since who can remember when. Last year when the F-22 Raptor made its... Uh, visit on one day. It was without question in my mind it was one of the finest demonstrations I've ever seen. Well the Raptors coming back this year, there'll be two of them and they arrive uh midweek on Thursday, uh July twenty sixth, and they'll be there the twenty sixth or the twenty ninth. So that's one of the highlights. They're actually then, landing this year. Uh and be on display. We'll have uh, have them on Aeroshell Square. They'll be doing a demonstration each day and if if you haven't seen the Raptor up close and personal or if you haven't seen it fly or do its demonstration it's it's a it's a can't miss opportunity, uh, so that's that's without question one of the highlights uh, in terms of the uh, significant airplanes. Uh, the Harriers coming back, uh, um, a, a wide variety. I, I think this year, from the standpoint of variety, from a military hardware standpoint, uh, celebrating the 60th anniversary of the Air Force, from a production aircraft standpoint, home built vintage antique. Uh, 
this is probably one of the broadest and deepest years we've ever had. That uh, you know, as many I've been chairman of the convention since 1976-77, and you think after all these decades, uh, the excitement would kind of wear off, but it never does. And I'm as excited about this year as I've ever been. Fantastic. Yeah, that's true. You know, talking about the, the, the history of the fly-in, I mean, believe it or not, some of our listeners are, are, may not be as familiar with, uh, with the EAA fly-in as, as others. Could you tell us a little bit about the history of it, maybe a, the, kind of the, the brief story about how it all got sure. started? And-, and I'm glad you, you asked that because it goes back to 1953. The first fly-in was in Milwaukee. It was then called Curtis Wright Airport. It's now a tournament field. And... Uh, you know, people came from as far away as North Chicago and Madison and different parts of the state, and, and there's probably 30, 30 airplanes. And it stayed in Milwaukee for, through the 50s and went to Rockford, Illinois in the 60s. And uh, in the late 60s, my dad and the leaders of the organization were looking for a place that would be, uh, could handle the expanded activities of the event. And Steve Whitman, of course, was airport manager here and a mentor to my father and to many of the early home builders. And this was the perfect site. You have Lake Winnebago for the seaplane base. Uh, as you know, the airport's laid out such that the two, the north, south, and east, west don't intersect. So it's like having two airports in one in terms of multiplicity of operations. And so we moved here in 1970. And and I've got to say that over the those years, the 50s, 60s, 70s, and the early 80s, we, we never envisioned that the event would become the international uh, event that it's become and, and what we believe is aviation's premier event. And it's evolved over just trying to meet the needs and interests of our members and guests in the aviation community. And today it's grown into uh, an event that uh, where technology is unveiled. Uh, this year we've got more uh, airframe and, and cockpit and technology announcements and introductions than we've ever had before. And, and that uh, that's exciting not only for the event but for the aviation community at large because I think we're going through some, some unique times in aviation. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the uh, the Raptor last year as being a highlight for you. Can you think of any other highlights, any uh, visiting aircraft or happenings over the over all the years of, of the EAA convention that stick in your mind? Well, you know, that's one of those things that there's so many, and you hate to choose them, but I have to say that a couple. Uh, one was the first year the Concorde came in to, sure. to Oshkosh oh, to, see that airplane, yeah. Yeah. to see that airplane uh, arriving from the south in a high angle of attack attitude and coming and land and and, and to think that it was Heathrow to Oshkosh, I mean, what a unique combination. And, and, and that really changed the mentality of people's outlook as to what Oshkosh was all about. I mean, to have the Concorde come here. So that's one thing I'll never forget. I remember the year the Voyager made its initial flight here. Uh, the, the tens of thousands of people on the flight line watching it fly over, you could, it literally could hear a pin drop. And, and of course, we all know what, what history-making uh, activities the Voyager engaged upon. And then when Spaceship One and White Knight came in, uh, you know, another uh, aviation first by EAAers, uh, those are a few that come to mind. And, and one event that, I, that sticks in my mind is not so much related to airplanes, uh, but people. In the year we had a salute to Apollo, it was the 25th anniversary, and we had the largest gathering of Apollo astronauts uh, outside of uh, a NASA activity. And that was really interesting because these are iconic names, and it wasn't so much talking about their space feats, but talking about their aviation feats and reminding us of the role that aviation's played in uh, in the world of space. Yeah. Hmm. Of course, one of the highlights of uh, each day during the uh, fly-in is the daily air show. Are there any uh, new outstanding acts that we're going to see this year that we haven't seen in the past? Well, the air show is certainly something that, as you know, everybody kind of works their way down the flight line by mid-afternoon uh, and what really worked hard with the air show is not just the aerobatic acts, which are among the world's finest aviation and aerobatic performers, 
but also showcase flying to un unveil many of the new airplanes that are unique both from a historical standpoint, restoration standpoint, and, and new product design. Uh, so we have some interesting things planned, and I guess I'd like to surprise a little bit with some of the unveiling that will be taking place. Uh, you know, the, the thing about the air show is the fact is that uh, we, we work hard to get the, the best performers, but also the ones that are the most popular, obviously the Sean Tuckers and many of the outstanding the civilian performers that have contributed their time will be back. And uh, I think Showcase this year will be an outstanding opportunity for people to see some airplanes they normally do not see in the air. So mm -hmm. I recommend you be down the flight line 2 o'clock every afternoon on the days that you're here. That's right. You and a couple of your friends used to be very key parts of the Daily Air Show, uh, and, and you stopped flying uh, in that act a, a number of years ago. Do you miss that? Yes, uh, you're referring when I was flying Charlie Hillard and Gene Susie and exactly. the Eagles are team, and prior to that, the Red Devils. And uh, Yes, you know, that for me, the convention was wrapped around performing the air show in the afternoon and the rest of the time uh, serving as chairman of the event. And, uh, that was a little bit of a shock to the system when we retired, and, and all of a sudden that didn't happen. But over time, uh, I've engaged in other activities, and, and though I miss it, uh, it was the right thing to do. We had a great run for 25 years. Uh, I enjoyed it immensely, and it was a great opportunity to, to engage in aerial activities and aviation activities across the country. But, uh, you know, t times and people change, and uh, it, was, it was the right thing for me to do at the time, and I look back at it with fond memories. and. It was something that uh, I'll never, ever forget and, and kind of shaped my aviation career. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, not only this time of year, but all year round, I would imagine you're a pretty busy guy. Do you get to do much flying for fun? Just go out and... Uh, yeah, uh, some, not nearly as much as I used to because uh, the organization's grown. It's interesting, and the fact is that the activities for EAA used to be at a certain level for 51 weeks out of the year, and then there's this big peak of activity called Oshkosh that came in the middle. Well, that, that peak is at the same, but the valley's gotten much higher. Uh, you know, the organization is focused on many uh, activities, everything from light sport aircraft and sport pilot initiative, which has taken a considerable amount of time, to our youth outreach, to aircraft operations. And we have a very diverse airline we run with everything from a B-17 and a Ford Trimotor to a Bell a helicopter. And, 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 and there are obviously the core programs are chapters and, and uh, publications. And so it's... Uh, it's an interesting and exciting challenge, and it's great to see the organization thriving on a year-round basis with uh, Oshkosh each summer as the, the pinnacle event. Tom, if you if you had the time uh, to go out and, and just get in an airplane and go out and blow some cobwebs away, what airplane would you be getting in? You know, that's a very interesting question. And probably at this stage of my life, it's it sounds very basic, but a J3 Cub. It's <laughs> a good answer. You know, and, and the fact is that it, it's not so much blowing the cobwebs out. It's, <laughs> you're going at the speed of <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's just it, it takes you back to just the sheer fun of flying. You know, putting the door down and being low and slow and enjoying the sunset or the early morning sunrise. Uh, I think right now it's not a question of speed and power. I've had that opportunity. It's just enjoying flight for the sheer joy of flight. Well, you know, basic uh, the basic connection, man, machine, and air, is is one of Oshkosh's hallmarks, and and you guys have uh, helped. Uh, I don't know what the, what the word should be, maybe here, midwife, a whole new segment of aviation. It's a big part of the convention now, that the light sport end of it. Absolutely, and we're really excited about this year because 
this is going to be a pinnacle year for that whole initiative. We spent 10 years in the regulatory process to make it a reality, and of course then the next three years building infrastructure, but now what we're finding is that uh, product is coming into the field, and uh, there'll be some exciting announcements at our venture this year in terms of new production capability coming into the field, and training capability, and, and I think that uh, the vision and dream we had for, I know I think, I know the vision and dream that we've had for Sport Pilot as, as a core activity that will build the base aviation is going to become a true reality at this year's air venture, and it'll be one of the, uh, the pinnacle activities this, during that uh, exciting week. That's great. So is there anything we've missed, Tom? Is there anything uh, you'd like to tell us about that we haven't covered? Well, you know, the thing that uh, I want to reinforce is the, the reason that AirVenture Oshkosh has being, uh, become successful is, is not just because of the, the air show or the unique airplanes or the military participation or senior events such as the Concorde or Spaceship One. It's because of the core activities that it's, it's become uh, uh, aviation's buffet, uh, uh, aviation's uh, testing grounds, and uh, we've been very careful not to to change the core activities, the forums, the workshops, the, the activities that take place in the campsite. Uh, it, for those that have been there, and I think you know what I'm saying, is that it's one of those truly one of those events that you've got to see and experience to understand what it's all about, and there's a unique culture to it. And so we work hard to protect that, and it's that basic aspect of the event that makes it so special. Uh, and so even though we spent time this morning on the highlights, uh, the real highlight is the essence of the event and the, and the, the magnitude, and not in terms of size, but the scope. You know, there's literally, if you have an aviation interest or a passion, no matter what it is, it's represented somewhere on the site. And, and I think I that it's... It really, it really is about the people, and, and yeah, to me, to me. And, and 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 the people's love of aviation, including a lot of people who come through the gate, who aren't pilots, don't fly, will never fly, but they love being around the airplanes, and they love being around the enthusiasm of the folks who are there for the airplanes. And you know, those of us who are passionate about flying, you love to share that passion with those who are interested, and so it's it's a unique uh, opportunity and one that we work very hard to protect. Because for many people, this is their aviation Christmas or birthday or all that are wrapped into one uh, each year as they come back to Oshkosh, and it's a second home. Yeah. Speaking of people that, that we've come to know and love through EAA, uh, I was wondering how your parents are doing. Okay, thanks for asking. They're doing fine. You know, they're, uh, they're still very active in aviation, and, and my dad has, has, you know, founded the organization back in 1953 and has a, a great affinity to the members and to all that are involved. and. And they're doing well. My dad will be 86 this year. My mom's in their early 80s. I'm not going to give the exact age because that's not appropriate to <laughs> give a lady's age away. But uh, they're, they're doing well, and, and people will have a chance to see them as they move around the flight line as they do every year. We all, yeah, all, we, we absolutely enjoy saying hi to them as they, as they drive around in their various vehicles and so forth. It's one of the special good. moments each year. It's always a treat to bump into into Paul and or see Red One cruising down the you know one of the taxiways or roads there, and and, and marvel at the fact that uh, him and a handful of people uh, got together in a basement at your family home down there in, in Milwaukee all those years ago. And it, it, when you think about what could come out of a handful of people in a grassroots start, I don't think anybody in, in their wildest imagination would predict something as vast and, and, and meaningful as what the show has turned into. But you know, you go beyond the show, and that's a great point. Look what individual entrepreneurship has done in terms of uh, going from the VK-30 home belt to Cirrus Design, and, mm-hmm. and the list of, of, of dreams that were visions and dreams that became reality, and 
what EA has done is provided the stage and the opportunity, but there's so much credit goes to the people who have taken those opportunities and made them into uh, significant uh, aspects of the aviation community. Tom, For that reason, volunteers coming in a little while ago, uh, coming in early to start the advanced prep. How, how many volunteers does it take to make this thing click through 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 the cycle? Uh, there's there's roughly 500 plus volunteer chairpersons that serve in all different capacities, and that at the end wow. of the day, there's about 5,000 volunteers that cover everything from parking airplanes and automobile traffic to camper registration. It's 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 really. Uh, uh, something pretty unique in terms of the size and scope and depth and dedication of the the people who are involved, who whose whose payment is the uh, satisfaction of a job well done and knowing that they're part of something special. Yeah. If someone wanted to volunteer for for uh, this year's show, is it too late? Well, it's it's never too late. You know, we always are welcome people because it's a way to get them engaged in the organization. And and when they're here through our information services, uh, they can uh, register their name and get involved and. What you, what you find is that once you get involved, you never stop getting involved because it's more fun to be a part of it than just uh, a visitor. Right. That's absolutely, absolutely the truth. Well, we're all looking forward to uh, our annual uh, uh, trip out to uh, Oshkosh to uh, visit our friends and to visit you folks. And uh, Tom, I want to thank you for taking a few minutes to uh, to talk with us and join us in the virtual hangar here. Uh, we really appreciate it. I know you're really busy these days. And uh, Not a problem. And uh, remind everybody, we start Monday, July 23rd, so it's just a few short weeks away. That's right. Well, and Jeb and I will be looking for you uh, two weeks from this afternoon. So, Well, uh, you know where to find me. I have, a pretty good, I have a pretty good idea what you'll be driving. So, Absolutely. Well, I've enjoyed talking with you all. I'll see you in a couple of weeks in Oscar. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks for dropping by. Well, it was really nice of Tom to drop in. Uh, very much. You know, very appreciated and uh, also very informative. Uh, uh, kind of re- refreshed my memory on, on what we're going to expect in a couple of weeks. And uh, uh, for our listeners who, who have not really made plans to get to Oshkosh this year or are kind of ambivalent about it or uh, uh, never oh, been man, there you, before for that you reason. missing out? You are big time missing out. Um, it is all that and more. Uh, it is, um, if Oshkosh, if, if AirVenture didn't exist, it would have to be invented. Yeah. Uh, not just for us to have something to talk about, but because it really and truly is the, the quintessential uh, aviation event. Uh, it is international in scope. It, you will find everything uh, of, of uh, uh, just about every shape or size that you can imagine, and a lot of things you, that you never even thought of before, never even heard of before, from um, uh, pre-World War I uh, aircraft um, to uh, the latest and greatest like the F-22 and, and everything in between. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and some, of the, some of the stuff that's been an unexpected treat... Uh, over the years, uh, Tom was talking uh, about the F-22 Raptor uh, and its appearance last year. Uh, it was it was my good luck to be out on the flight line to shoot that for AirVenture today. And other than not having picked my earplugs up out of my camera bag, uh, you know, it was a, an unforgettable display. Uh, the ringing in my ears eventually went away. It only took a couple of beers. Uh, <laughs> the uh, the year that the Concorde came in, actually Concorde came uh, a couple of times, if I remember right, and it was it did, due yeah. to come back the year that uh, one crashed going out of Paris, right. and that kind of ended its career. There was a year when Qantas flew in a chartered 747-400 in special 
paint that represented the Aboriginal people of Australia. Just a remarkable, remarkable sight, seeing that puppy coming in on runway uh, uh, 36. The year that we had B-17s, B-24s, B-1Bs, and B-52s all cruise the pattern uh, within a few minutes of one another. You just, sites like that... They stick with you. Yeah, they, they yeah. stick with you for years, and and you might not even think about them until you're in a you know in, in a hangar flying session like this, where folks talk about, uh, you know, well I've never been there or what do you see? What's the most memorable? And then it just kind of opens up the floodgates and the memories start tumbling back. That's right. A couple of uh, of Oshkosh Air Venture uh, administrative things here about the podcast. Just a reminder uh, that uh, we are going to be participating in a special pod- a special episode of the Pilot Cast podcast, which is one of our our friendly competitor uh, podcasts, and that's going to be a live recording uh, with anyone who wants to come and, and uh, watch. I guess you might call it an audience. I don't know with a live audience. Uh, that'll be on Friday afternoon during the uh, during the uh, event week uh, at five thirty p.m. in Forum number forum building number two uh, and uh, if you've not not been to uh, air venture before once you get there there'll be all kinds of maps and so forth to direct you to the forums live, live audience is so much more fun than a dead one <laughs> that's right that's right but especially there, when you have to kill them first yeah you know? that's right <laughs> they're so much easier to keep under control though so that's this is uh, true. friday 5 30 forum building number two the uh, what i don't know if it has an official name i call it the podcast of palooza but uh but it's it's going to be a gathering of the aviation podcasters, and there's just all sorts of uh, of folks who put on uh, aviation podcasts like us, and and like uh, Steve uh, Steve Force, and and like uh, Private Pilot Will, uh, and the Pilot Cast guys, and uh, and uh, Jason Miller from uh, from Finer Points, and others are all going to be there. It's I, it just seems like it's going to be a little chaotic, but fun. So uh, if you're interested in that, and then also I wanted to kind of brief people a little bit on um, we're going to change our schedule just slightly for the upcoming episode. Episodes. Those of you who get the podcast uh, through uh, iTunes and that sort of thing don't really need to worry about this because it'll come to your computer automatically. But just so you know what to expect, uh, next week we're going to be recording a normal episode on Thursday morning. Uh, then the following week we're going to do an er- er- episode earlier in the week. We're probably going to record on Monday for posting on the net on Tuesday. That'll be episode number 38, and that'll be our special, our sort of official Oshkosh preview. Then um, we're... And then we won't be recording on Thursday of that week because, as a truck passes by my front window here, we won't be recording later that week on Thursday as usual because we'll be traveling that day. But uh, we will be recording episode number 39 on uh, Monday, which is the first official day of AirVenture 2007. Hopefully get that one posted on the net sometime Tuesday. And then we're going to do another episode on Sunday, the 29th, which is the last day of AirVenture 2007. That'll be episode number 20, uh, excuse me, correction, 40. And that'll be the AirVenture wrap-up. And then the following week uh, on August 2nd, back on our Thursday rotation, that'll be the episode 41. So that's more information you need to know. Basically, what you need to know is that they were going to become a little bit less regular um, in terms of podcast scheduling than we've been recently. Um, if you're not already subscribed, go to iTunes, go to uh, one of your whatever your podcast catcher is, and uh, make sure you're subscribed so you get these automatically and instantly when they go up on the net. That's my uh, that's my podcast administrative stuff here. Um, that's your pitch, and you're sticking to it. That's right. Sure. That's right. And you can always get information about this. Go to the uncontrolledairspace.com website, where we'll be posting all this information to if you need to refresh your memory, or if you want to get the latest greatest as things perhaps change as we get a little bit closer. If you got things that you 
questions about uh, the big show coming up, uh, you know, now's a good time to think about uh, doing what we ask you to do every week. Drop us a line, uh, call in our reader recording line, ask us a question. Uh, you know, I can't guarantee that uh, we'll be able to get to it, but uh, if we're not informed by those ideas, we certainly can't even attempt to get to it. That's right, so, Troy. That's right. Uh, and you can check out a lot of details, I mean, more than you could absorb, uh, more than you'd actually probably be able to see if you came, on uh, AirVenture 2007 at the at the AirVenture.org website. That's right. There you go. Uh, let's see. Now, let's see if we can wrap this thing up a little bit here. Um, Gabe, you, uh, I don't know how quickly we can do this, but you, you called our attention to a kind of an interesting website or, or thing that's going on that you can own a piece of the Concorde? Yeah. What's that uh, all about? There is a, uh, a, a company uh, uh, that is going to be selling at auction uh, pieces, parts, and hardware from the uh, Concorde fleet that unfortunately has been you know, grounded forever because of safety concerns. Uh, the link to the website will, uh, will be on uh, the uncontrolled airspace site. But uh, come September 28th, 29th, 30th, and October 1, uh, this auction is going to be uh, moving off. Oh, Jiminy. Let's see. Parts on sale. It's uh, it's a huge collection. Everything from engine parts to uh, to spares, instrument uh, instrument pieces, mock meters. If you if if you want to really throw somebody, go online and bid for one of the mock meters and put it in your 172. Uh-huh. Uh, It'll actually start to register airspeed, but it'll be wildly behind the other one that you normally <laughs> use. Uh, they've got attitude indicators, Mach meters, engine controls, uh, and parts. Uh, a lot of this stuff is uh, is uh, uh, surplus from their spare parts counter. Some of it's coming off the actual aircraft that were retired because... Uh, most of them have been parceled out to most of them that are left have been parceled out to museums uh, and and aren't going to fly again. So there's a lot of hardware that can come out of them without hurting their historical appearance. Uh, and uh, you could own a piece of history. That'd be cool. Uh, Concorde is the only civilian supersonic aircraft ever put into service, and the only supersonic airliner uh, that ever existed. Uh, it well, wasn't the only one attempted. But Thank it was you. the only one that actually made it into service, and uh, it, it, it it just a remarkable piece of machinery. Uh, the technology that went into it, which is, when you think about it, late fifties technology and early sixties technology, it's remarkable what the machine could do. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I'm sitting here looking at, at some of the parts and components that are uh, that are going to be at auction and. Uh, uh, Dave's exactly right. There's very interesting things here. I just want like the you know the uh, the uh, certi- certification plate or something like that. Uh, I, don't, I don't see one of those listed, but uh, we'll keep sleuthing. Yeah, and th- these funny. are these are certified parts too, folks. I mean, yeah, uh, these- you know, this is not you know this is not uh, uh, dummies or mock-ups or junk. Uh, you know, the 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 uh, folks running the auction. Uh, uh, note that some of the parts uh, are accompanied by their original containers or packagings. Uh, others have their certificate, certificates of authenticity or the documents uh, of the period permitting their identification. Uh, some of them were actually installed on in-service aircraft. Uh, 
You know, if you're if you're as much of an airplane nut as a lot of us, uh, I know I've got a couple of old airspeed indicators here, and a piston out of a B-17, and a piston out of a B-29, and they're not really good for anything except giving you something extra to dust, and conversation, and knowing that you own a piece of history. So, if you bought enough of these pieces, parts, could you actually assemble your own Concorde aircraft? Uh, if you were really good at doing the sheet metal work for the stuff that they're not selling. Ah, uh, well, okay. I know a bunch of EA people who are pretty good at sheet metal. You never know. <laughs> yeah, you, never know. you could talk to the, you know, you could uh, work with some folks at uh, at Oshkosh, get together a parts list. And uh, uh, I, think the, I think the biggest problem is probably going to be those hybrid engines that uh, allow you to cruise at supersonic without being an afterburner. That's right. I think this you'll, is a good... You'll need four of them. A good project sure. for one of those workshop tents for people to fiddle with all throughout the week. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you taking the time. Uh, it was a blast to talk to Tom. We want to thank Tom. Uh, Absolutely. Tom Poberezny, the president of EAA, and the and, chairman. And to his staff who helped make this happen. Absolutely. Very much. That's right. Absolutely. Folks from uh, Dick Nepinski in particular want to give a shout-out to uh, Dick and, and, and the other folks in, in the pipeline that helped coordinate with us and, and, and get Tom uh, free to drop by the virtual hangar. That's right. You can get lots and lots of information about uh, AirVenture 2007 at airventure.org, and you can also learn about the EAA in general at eaa.org. And uh, thanks again to Tom. Yeah, and if you're going to go and fly an airplane in, get online www.airventure.org or eaa.org or faa.gov slash ntap get the NOTAM read the NOTAM, NOTAM. take the NOTAM yes. with you print it out thanks also to uh, Jeb so Jeb we can learn more about Jeb at uh, jebburnside.com also aviationsafetymagazine.com and avweb.com and Dave has lots of information about him and his work at DaveHigdon.com and me at JackHodgson.com. We ran out of time, so I didn't get a chance to elaborate on this, but I would invite people to look at another website that I operate, which is called AroundTheField.net. And uh, I'll talk more about that next time. But uh, there's some interesting things there relating to AirVenture. Uh, and we're of course, sorry we didn't have an off-field landing of the week this week. Well, you know, we're, you know, some weeks are busier than others. We'll come. We'll do two next time, okay? <laughs> and visit us all at uh, uncontrolledairspace.com. So uh, thanks again, guys, for taking the time to get together. And thank you, everyone, yep. for listening. We'll talk to you all again next time. AMF, everybody. Hasta la vista.